0: Welcome to the spookiest season of the year. It's the disenfranchised podcast. Our October spooky thon rages on. Uh, that's right. We're that podcast all about those franchises of one those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. And uh, who's that hiding over there behind that mask? It's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Boo, Stephen. Ah, you scared me, sir. How dare you? Um. It it is as it was last week and as it will be next week. It is the spookiest time of the year, Brett, and I know you're excited about it. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And don't let Andy Williams tell you different. Um, Yes, uh, Brett's got his pumpkin chai. He's all ready to go. And we are joined by an incredible guest. I am so excited that we finally got her on. Um, she is an editor over at FilmCred. She is a columnist at the Daily Grindhouse, and she has got a list of, uh, credits longer than, well, it's pretty long. Uh, it's Jessica Scott. Jessica, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. We are thrilled to have you. You and I met at, uh, the, uh, Pot in the Pendulums, uh, recording of It Chapter One. Yes. I was the illustrious narrator
1: number two.
0: Yeah, we've we've actually already had narrator number one on. Jim Rohner was on uh, a, uh about a month ago. We talked uh, National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One. Uh, now I just got to get Taffeta on, and, and I can go. have all three of the exactly of the, get the trifecta. On. Absolutely. Uh, oh, she'd be a great guest too. I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, would love to have her. Really excited to have you on thank the show you. as well. Thank so you thank so you so much for joining us. We actually this month for Spookython are trying to bring in uh, voices that are different from ours so we've been bringing on uh women and uh femme presenting guests so thank you so much for joining the ranks we had enola lugosi on last week we've got a couple of great guests down the pipeline for the next couple of weeks as well but we are thrilled to count you among their number
1: oh thank you so much i love enola so i'm excited to see who else you've got coming on but yes i'm very Uh, glad to be here
0: I will totally tell you off mic. Okay. So I don't. I don't want to spoil it for the you know John Q listener out there who might be <laughs> excited. But yeah, I will. I will tell you off mic who we've gotten. I, they're they're pretty great. Yeah, I get the inside scoop. That's absolutely. That's that's why you become a guest so you can be a part of the inner circle. Yes. Join our sanctum sanctorum, please. <laughs> uh, but since it is Spookython, uh, we actually reached out to Jessica and said, "Hey, Jessica, what um what movie would you like to talk about?" for Spookython. And Jessica, what movie did you choose? I chose Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Yes, 2006's Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, uh, directed by uh, Scott Glosserman, written by Glosserman and Dave Dive Steve? I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, but starring uh, Nathan Bicell, uh, Angela Gerthels, Uh, Zelda Rubenstein in her final film performance, Robert Englund, Scott Wilson, Bridget Newton, Kate Minor, Ben Pace, uh, Britton Spellings, and uh, quite a few others, including a blink-and-you-miss-him Kane Hodder in this movie as well. Uh, Truly, you'll love to see it. A movie, by the way, that I had never seen before yesterday when I sat down to watch it for this podcast. Much to my chagrin. Right. (laughs) So and I told you this, Jessica, when um, you selected this movie that Brett was going to be very excited because he has been trying to get me to watch this since before we actually conceived of this podcast. And then once we had conceived of this podcast, I'm like, well, I might as well just save it for the podcast because, you know, why go in unsullied if I can help it? Usually, if there's a movie I know could probably fit this format that I haven't seen before, I try to hold off so I can reserve judgment. But
1: yeah, well, I'm honored. I'm the one who finally got you to watch this movie. Seriously. I'm very excited.
0: And I have I've got some. You're, now, you're both just assuming I loved it as much as you do. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: I'd honestly be surprised if you didn't, <laughs>
0: legitimately. Uh, I, I, I went on a journey with this movie. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to be really honest with you, and I am very excited to talk to you guys about it. Uh, but first, we like to talk about what our histories are with this particular film. We usually would say maybe uh, the property as a whole, but this is kind of it. Uh, so maybe uh, your history with slashers uh, kind of leading up to and after. Uh, Leslie Vernon, Jessica, as our guest, we would invite you to go first.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, My history with slashers. Gosh. Um, I started watching slashers before I hit my teens. I remember uh, my first slasher was probably April Fool's Day at a slumber party. Um, I was obsessed. I was hooked. I thought oh, slashers are the best thing in the world. Um, so I started renting as many as I could for my local video store. Most of it was, you know, kind of B-grade slashers, a lot of Canadian slashers. Not that the two are the same. No disrespect to Canada.
2: Sure, um, sure. <laughs> um, they gave us My Bloody Valentine. How could exactly, you love her Correct. Yeah,
1: yeah I, you know, lots of Terror Train, things like that. Um I watched Friday the 13th at a slumber party as well for the first time and fell off my bed when Jason came out of the water. I just, I'm obsessed with slashers. Um, so I just kind of watched as many as I could growing up. And when this one came out in 2006, I don't think I was aware of it till it came to home video. Again, you know, I always haunted my local video store in the horror section and rented it as soon as I saw it and just thought it was the funniest, most clever thing I'd ever seen, like the way it deconstructs slashers the we'll get into it but i just thought it was so smart and so clever but i have not seen it since then so i i on it this is my first time re-watching it in about 15 years um so oh, wow. i was really excited to be able to rewatch it and pick up on even more things i think than before but just because i've consumed so many more slashers over the years that i have more of an appreciation for some of the nuances i think so i picked up on even more stuff this time around
0: that's Well, as excited as you are to, to be the one to finally get me to see this, I'm excited that we're the ones that got you to revisit it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, Brett, what about you? What's your uh, history with, I, I mean, we know you're a, an, an old fan of the slasher genre, but what's your, what's your history with slashers? What's your history with uh, Les- Leslie Vernon here?
2: Uh, well, I mean, yeah, my, my history with slashers is well documented on the podcast. <laughs> uh, started with Halloween uh, when I was way too young to have seen it, um, thanks to my father. And then, yeah, I just fell in love with them since then. I've watched every slasher under the sun you could possibly think of. Uh, but the funny thing about this movie was uh, I didn't know it existed until maybe like five or six years ago. Um, when a horror fan of mine, horror friend, horror fan friend of mine. <laughs> I was um, going to say, you have horror fans? It's amazing. <laughs> I know. It's cool, isn't it? He he told me about it. And I was like, he was like have you heard about this movie? And I was like, No. It's, he's like, it's amazing. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. He let me borrow it. And he was like, here, go watch it. Let me know what you think. And you never and, gave it back. Uh, no, I mean, I did eventually. <laughs> uh, as as you well know, I get around to giving you your movies back eventually. <laughs> at some point, uh, yeah. I can expect <laughs> some them point. eventually. Someday. Uh, <laughs> on your deathbed, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> here, here. I'm so sorry, Stephen. Here, I brought these back to you. Do you still uh, have a bunch of mine or no? I do, yeah. I've got a nice little stack. I was okay, gonna say, I see I, a
1: hole back there that might be <laughs> might belong to the movies he borrowed.
0: It might actually. I, I mean, I'm running out of space back. I need a new
2: shelf. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, I watched it and I uh, fell in love with it. It was fantastic. It's it's funny. It's dark. It's yeah. Like we'll get into it, right? But like, it's <laughs> it's so good. It's so so good. Uh,
0: so I uh, my now as as Brett's history with slashers has also been well documented. My um, not history with slashers has also been pretty well dominated or documented. Mm. <laughs> Words are hard, guys. I'm sorry. Who, who 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 does this really? Who becomes a podcaster? Good heavens. I. <laughs> um, um, but I uh, grew up uh, – so I the, the two-pronged fork of A, being an enormous coward, and B, growing up in a religious household. So um, horror movies just in general were not a thing that I digested. Um, my father actually never didn't really care for horror movies growing up because his father used to scare the bejeebers out of him with a mask of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, my father, I think, was born the year before that movie came out. And so when that movie did come out, my grandpa bought a mask and would just terrify my father with it. So horror was never really something that I grew up with because he never really liked it. Um, So I think I was not it wasn't until my freshman year of college that I saw Scream for the first time and I had no idea what it was constructing. But I was like, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, like in terms of horror. And then the more I revisited it, the more I loved it. It is probably my favorite slasher movie still to this day. Not a huge fan of slashers as a genre for for various reasons. Uh, the, the general um, attitude towards women as a whole is kind of not the best. But then um, they really do give us great heroes and compelling characters, which, I mean, you know, it's the genre that gave us Sydney Prescott and Laurie Strode and Nancy Thompson. And uh, who might argue with that? You know, there's there's some really great characters at Sam Loomis, like just really great characters that come out of that genre. So um, and, you know, we also get Matthew Willard being uh, being a little stinker in a ghost face mask. So, I again, uh, hard to argue. Um, but this movie, I like I said, I reserved uh, watching it until now uh, for for reasons all my own. But uh, I have seen it now. And uh, I got to tell you, I have some thoughts, which we'll get into, <laughs> apparently. Like, right? We'll, I, we'll get into I it.
2: I don't know if I like the sound of that. Usually when you've got thoughts, they're not good ones.
0: I mean, that's not always true. How dare you? Um, <laughs> mal- malign my malign my thinking brain. Um,
2: uh, just saying. <laughs>
0: um, so let's, before we, because di- I, I have a feeling like we're on the precipice of just getting into it. Um, So let's before we get into it, let us do the plot in 60 seconds. And Jessica, (laughs) she's stealing herself as our guest. Jessica, you have volunteered graciously uh, to give the plot of Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon in 60 seconds or less. I am getting 60 seconds on the clock as we speak. It is ready. Are you ready?
1: (sighs) Yes, I've been nervous about this all day, but I think I'm ready.
0: I think you're going to be great. So your time starts now. We open on a slasher shot of a waitress taking
1: out the trash at a diner. She's spooked by what could be a serial killer in the bushes. Then we get some Dateline-style narration of the evil, plaguing Glen Echo, just like the famous real-life killers in Crystal Lake, Elm Street, and Hanfield. Taylor is a documentary filmmaker covering Leslie Byrne and Glen Echo's very own slasher. She interviews him on how he does what he does, and he takes her through the steps and rules of being a slasher villain. We meet his mentor, Eugene, and his Ahab, Dr. Halloran, and we learn that Kelly, the waitress from the diner, is his chosen survivor girl, which is like a final girl but not as catchy. Leslie, who turns out to be just a dude named Leslie Mancuso from Reno, not the vengeance-loving ghost he pretends to be, takes Taylor and her crew through three elaborate preparations for his night of slashing— On the big night, Taylor can't let Leslie kill everyone, so she joins the group of doomed partiers, only to discover that she is the actual survivor girl, because she is the only virgin in the entire movie. Taylor squashes Leslie's head and lights him on fire, living to fight another day along with Doc Halloran and her cameraman-slash-boyfriend Doug. And over the end credits, we see Leslie rise up in the local morgue,
2: ready to slash another day.
0: Two seconds to spare. Uh. That was incredible. Well done. Thank you. Oh my that, goodness.
2: Is, is that the best one we've ever heard? Like it's, I, it's that's comprehensive. I mean, <laughs> was... in terms
0: of just both being comprehensive as possible and like getting it done so close to the wire, like that's that's easily a top three. Oh. If Bravo. not, if not number Bravo. one. Thank like you so solid, much. solid Bravo. work. Oh, thank Welcome. you. Um see, I knew I, I knew you were gonna be great, and you were in fact great. Uh so fantastic. So that's the plot of the movie. Um i I went on a journey with so i'll just I'll go ahead and start since i'm the the newbie here and you guys can can tell me why I'm wrong um I actually did like this movie I did have a fun time with this movie, but I think I liked it more once it was over than I did while I was watching it if that makes sense um i th- i I liked the humor I thought it was fun I liked the what if the Blair Witch Project followed a slasher kind of premise? I thought that was really creative. But there were were aspects and elements of it that in the moment, I was just kind of that, that felt very weird until the end when the twist happens and you realize that Taylor is in fact the survivor girl and not the person that we thought it was initially. And then everything kind of clicks. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. This is act. This is actually very, very good. Um, but there were like moments where the interplay between Leslie and Taylor I always felt was really weird and kind of creepy and maybe a little cringy. But then when you realize he's actually been hunting her this whole time, I think everything just sort of slides into play. So it was one of those that the twist made the movie better for me, whereas before it just felt like kind of a a series of riffs on the classic genre, like very specific, very well done riffs on the genre don't get me wrong but i think my general attitude towards slashers kind of skewed me against it until that very clever final twist where i was like okay this is actually really good to the to the extent that i do now want to watch it again just so i can kind of recontextualize it i unfortunately did not have time to watch it twice before we recorded today Uh, otherwise i would have absolutely done so um but no i it was one of those that i it was I like I liked it in retrospect, and I think if I go back and watch it again, I'll enjoy it even more. So there it is. There's my thoughts on Behind the Mask,
2: Colon, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Brett, you have a face. No, no. I, I, honestly, I was very – I was scared for a second. Uh, <laughs> I was very concerned uh, that you were going to give this movie a low rating. Um, yeah, because you never get re- movies that I enjoy low ratings. <laughs> no, but I mean this one I had – I got a lot invested in this one, man, because I really feel strongly – that you like would have liked this movie, um, so I'm glad that you did. Yeah. So yeah, no, it, it it does improve with subsequent viewings. You are correct, and it feels like it would, like
0: because there there are apparently a, the IMDb trivia page for this movie is just like Easter egg hunt. It's 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 literally just an Easter egg hunt. It's like this guy's supposed to be this. These characters are mentioned. This thing is seen here. This person was in this movie. This person was in this movie. Like it's it's that is the entire. I'm like digging for trying to pan for gold and it's all fool's gold on that IMDb trivia page, which to be honest is mostly the case, but every now and again, you get a nugget. You can use nothing usable on that page really for, the, for, for my purposes. But yeah, I mean, this is, is kind of an indie movie. So I think none of us really saw it or knew of it at the time. I think the first time I heard about this movie was a friend of the show past and future guest JP Leck was the one who told me about this. And maybe when I was telling him the premise for this, he's like, well, you got to do behind the mask. Right. And I was like, mm-hmm. I guess. Do I? And he's <laughs> like, well, let me what tell you about is. it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I was like, I've never heard of it. What is that thing? So, but no, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. And you could tell they had other ambitions for this thing also. So I don't know what, what, let's, let, let's actually, let's start with the, the elephant in the room, which is the slasher of it all. This takes place, this movie takes place in a world where the famed slashers of Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th, the child's play films, they all exist. They're all real. And like slashing is a legitimate career path that one can take or so it seems. How do you guys feel about the way that this film uses deconstructs and maintains the slasher genre?
1: I love it, but I've got some questions. (laughs) Okay. Um, I, I think it's one of the funniest things about the movie is it takes these you know archetypal boogeyman the scariest characters some of the scariest characters in horror and turns them into just dudes doing a job like getting together and like having a couple of beers and talking about these dumbass teenagers that they have to chase around you know like right. i it's just so funny to me especially i can't get over leslie's soul patch in the movie and the idea that like jason's got a soul patch under there with all his zombie skin and he's got that little soul patch going on um <laughs> i I love that, but I'm, I'm wondering something um, on this rewatch because Leslie Vernon is actually Leslie Mancuso, just a regular person from Reno, Nevada. He's not actually, you know, a, a ghost whose parents were, you know, were mistreated him. And then he got thrown over a waterfall and he came back to take revenge on the town. This whole mythology that the town has about him. He's just a regular guy who slides into that urban legend and that ghost story. So I don't know if they're implying that the same is true of like Michael Myers. Like, Mm. is he just, you know, Michael Johnson from Boise and he just decided to show up with a butcher knife, you know, like, I'm not sure where they draw the line there, but I do think it's hilarious that these guys just all get together. Like Freddie comes out of the dream world and is like, oh my God, this freaking Nancy, I can't get her out of my hair. You know, just the idea of people, you know, complaining about work and the typical, you know, stresses and comparing notes on the best way to, you know, break an ax handle fast or something, you know, all those right. sabotage moves right. he takes. I, that's just so funny to me. And I, it's so clever. And I love that it came in 2006 right during that slasher remake boom of like the mm-hmm. mid to late aughts, which is perfect timing for it. And I'm sure we can get into it when you talk, we talk about the planned sequel, um, mm. But I just, I think it's so smart, but I do want to know where they draw the line. Like, is Michael's backstory true, or is he just a regular guy? Is Freddie actually in the dream world, or is he just pretending that? I I want to know, I want to pin down kind of the mythology within the world of the movie, I guess, is my question.
0: I have some thoughts, but I'll defer to Brett first, because he's the horror guy on this podcast. Uh,
2: I mean, the way the way that Leslie talks about him, I mean, he refers them as Mike and Jay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... It's hilarious, but like it, <laughs> that implies to me that they're just normal dudes that took on. Maybe they they did the same thing Leslie did. They yeah. just took on the urban legend. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what I think anyway. But maybe it could be both. It, it, some some do. Some actually are the myth, and some just take it on. And that's kind of I think that's where I ended up landing. Is
0: that some of these guys are real and legit, and. It feels like behind it, they are kind of normal guys, but they're normal guys that have had these horrific things happen. So they're actual legit slashers. Leslie feels like a pretender to that, like someone who's always aspired to that. And so he he's – if anything, he's a raconteur, right? Like he knows how to build his myth. Um, and so he hires in this film crew to kind of cement it while simultaneously making that his hunt. So in a weird way, this is like reality television. He's getting it all on tape. And that, I mean, that's kind of the way I read his motivations. Um, but again, to to your point, Jessica, I love the way that all of the, the stupid things that teenagers do are things that he has basically orchestrated to happen because of just the intense amount of preparation that he underwent, mm-hmm. like, you know, st- Cutting down the axe handle so it breaks on one swing, loosening the head off the sledgehammer, um, cutting the branches on the tree so they snap as if any weight is put on them at all. Like all the stupid stuff that teenagers end up doing in these horror movies, he he's orchestrated it. So there's a reason why it's all being done. And I think Scream ends up doing very similar things. And this comes 10 years after Scream. So it's got to still find a way to keep all of these things fresh. And I think this format. Allows that to be true because he's treating scary movies not like they're scary movies, but like they're real life. Because in his world,
2: they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, and he also not only does he set up these things, he also does mention like sometimes in certain certain circumstances, right? Like they'll just they'll trip on level and stable ground. They'll like herd together without protecting themselves. Like he knows human nature too. On top of it all, like. Mm-hmm he's well educated in, in like on how to kill someone and how they will act. It's like Joker levels of knowing what you're going to do before you do it sort of thing. Right.
0: That, that it's mastermind impressive. role that, yeah. you know, the villain knows five steps ahead, exactly what you're going to do. And you see it all play out to a point, according to the plan that he lays out. And then you realize the plan is actually bigger than what we thought it was. And like, goes out even further and incorporates this film crew in it as well. That the the hero moment is not the moment that we have been led to think it is. It's literally the moment where he chases them off and says, get out of here. And she says, no, I can't let that happen and goes back. Like, yeah. chef's kiss. Like, that was such a great moment. Like, when you realize that that's what's happened, you're like, oh my gosh, well, that's great.
1: Yeah. And talking about, you know, being so educated, you know, early on, he's got the library with anatomy books and, you know, books, you know, from works from Houdini and like magic tricks and sleight of hand, like all the things in a slasher movie that people nitpick and say, well, that's unrealistic. That's stupid. No one would do that. How could that happen? It provides rationales for all of it. It's such a love letter to the genre. Cause it's like these, these movies are not as stupid as you think, because there's mm. a reason these things happen. There's a reason these people act this way and it explains everything not in a not in a boring way like i've explained away everything to the point where it's not interesting or fun it just it argues that this is not the silly dumb mindless genre you think it is i i just love the way it kind of flips everything on its head and provides an explanation for every single thing and just turns makes it mundane but still scary which is fascinating to me
2: it feels like um the the old show from the 90s about, like, magician's tricks revealed. Like, it feels mm-hmm. like that's what this documentary would have been. Like, somebody pulling pulling back the curtain of, like, this is how every slasher does all, all, all the things they do. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't be exposing all of these secrets, but I am.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it definitely has that kind of a feel to it, which is, again, it feels simultaneously transgressive and fun. Because you like when the curtain gets pulled back and you can kind of see what's going on behind the curtain, right? That's... Mm-hmm part of the fun and that this, the, the, the slasher genres having the curtain pulled back is kind of fun. I think, so I was just thinking about, as you guys were talking, the idea, uh, you know, whether or not these are normal guys or whether they are things, whether these are the beings that we see, I think the best evidence for the idea that the, they are real and just kind of have this mundane kind of attitude is the, the credits scene. I don't want to call it the post-credit scene because it's literally just the credits where after being crushed and burned, the corpse of Leslie Vernon is wheeled into, and it's security cam footage, which is perfect, is wheeled into the morgue, and he sits up just and you know, as alive as you please. Like, and that's what happens to Jason. That's what happens to Freddie. Uh, that's what happens to Michael Myers so many times, you know, these, these characters die and come back over and over and over again. So I think it lends credence to the idea that in this world where these supernatural monsters can just keep coming back um, that, yeah, I think Leslie Vernon, maybe he started as a pretender, but he eventually attained by, by orchestrating this thing as perfectly as he did. He ultimately managed to pull it
2: off. Well, okay. So then that gives me some more questions. What if in this world that sometimes it's not the same person? You know, the teenagers get the upper hand one time and they kill Jason, you know, Mm -hmm. but he's dead. And like somebody else is like, well, now now there's a hole here. Like we have an opening in this position. Uh, Would you like to fill the role of Jason? (laughs) We would like to hire a new Jason. And maybe that's why Jason uh, never moves
0: the same way from movie to movie. You know, (laughs) the. Yeah, we get different actors to yeah, play Jason and Michael Myers. Maybe it's because that you know they're actually different people kind of sliding themselves into that mythology.
1: Yeah, it's like the dread pirate Voorhees, like it's a different person every time, and <laughs> you know,
0: perfect, perfect. exactly. Yeah, and except he doesn't need to recruit them, they just kind of recruit themselves, you know, just stepping into the role. I like that. I think that that's that's a and I think. I I legitimately do think that if that sequel had been made, they probably would have explored aspects of that. One of the treatments that I, or one of the synopses of one of the scripts that had been written as a sequel I read, played with that idea of someone filling a void to some degree. So I think that could have been interesting. I'm, I'm going to table that for now because I think we're a little too early in to start talking about what the sequel to this thing would have been. Um, what did we think of the performances here? What did I mean, this is a small, independent film. Mostly, I say mostly, unknown actors because the actors that you have heard of in this film are uh, horror icons, but mostly unknowns. Uh, what, did, what did we think of the cast? What did we think of the performances here? Um, your thoughts.
1: I think our, our main two, you know, Leslie and Taylor are amazing. I was looking up their CVs and I was like, how have these people not done a lot more than they have? Um, Mm -hmm. Because they, the recent work, I couldn't really find anything. And the credits even say, you know, introducing Nathan Basil or Basil. He's so good. She's so good. They play so well together. You know, he, he's got a really interesting, mixture of like warmth and charm and tenderness with just outright glee and menace at just slashing people. Like it's, it's an amazing performance. Um, And I I love the scenes with him and Scott Wilson. Those are so fun. Um, But yeah, the lead performances I thought were just amazing. And I feel, a I feel cheated that we didn't get a sequel, but I also feel a little cheated that we didn't see more of them in more recent horror movies. Uh, but I, I thought they were both amazing
0: I mean you think the cult following that this thing has that someone would have tapped them to do something at some point right mm-hmm. you would think and yet here we are and it's it's not happened yet so I don't know Brett your thoughts
2: I mean I, I agree um outside of the you know the lead actors that I, I mean everybody was pretty good I didn't really have any standout like terrible performances um, I mean yeah and I don't I wouldn't say anyone did terribly here
0: you know i like i like what they're trying to do because that is i mean ultimately and i and i ultimately think they're successful i think leslie is he's likable enough that you kind of sort of want him to succeed in a really weird way and i'm part of the thing i don't like about slashers is that you're rooting for these people to get killed so ultimately they can't have that much of a personality because at the end of the day you want them dead which is why i think Taylor becoming the, the character that she is throughout the film is so incredibly well done. Um, and I think her treatment as a character is really well handled. I think the actress plays her, uh, Angela Garthos plays her really well. Uh, Angela Garthos by the way, who played uh, one of uh, Kevin McAllister's older siblings in Home Alone uh, back in 1990, um, uh, apparently also had roles in Jerry Maguire and Spanglish. Does a lot of TV these days uh, as well. Uh, was on, it looks like a season of 24 for a while. So, I mean, she's she's been around. She's been doing stuff, but not as much in the horror vein. I don't know if that's her choice or just Hollywood's in general. But I, I think the way her character developed to the extent that it did made it I, the way that they played off of one another made him. You could tell at various points she's very uncomfortable with him. Which leads you to believe that there is behind this charm behind the charisma behind the the pretty boy looks, there's something off in all of this, like the way he would the way she kind of looked at the camera when he gives her a hug uh, when he like reaches over to like touch her shoulder or something, and you kind of see like the discomfort on her face that all kind of comes to a head when he starts killing people and to the extent that, yes you believe it but at the same time maybe he's been doing those things on purpose to kind of rub her the wrong way so that when it comes right down to it she'll do the right thing which is the thing he ultimately wants her to do
1: yeah he's he definitely gives off strong nice guy vibes like he's a little too eager to be in her good graces a little too eager to touch her and be in her personal space and i think a lot of people, especially probably a lot of women, will recognize the way he interacts with her about trying to get too friendly too fast and mm. ignore boundaries and ingratiate himself um, with her. Which really plays into you know the way he talks about the survivor girl, um, the way he talks about Kelly, who Taylor believes is the final girl in this situation. It sounds like... Uh, courtship like a he's getting ready to marry her almost because he talks about you know she goes from girlhood to womanhood and you know the way it's very sometimes it's very sexual sometimes it's very faux romantic and you know it's it's all obviously very predatory so there's you know that menace all around it even when it's just you know Leslie our friend you know having a good time so I I do like that they add that element of it where You know, Taylor knows something's off, you know, above and beyond the fact that she's interviewing a serial killer. She just she can tell that something is off interpersonally. And I think that's a vibe that a lot of people, again, especially a lot of women who have picked up on in the past with people. And I really like that they introduce that element, because, you know, as you said, historically, slasher movies sometimes don't have the best track record with gender or with like sexual violence and things like that. And it's important to talk about that, I
0: think. Yeah. I yeah no I I completely agree I like that that and you're right so I and thinking back on it now so much of it is courtship language it's sexual like she will hold my manhood in her hand yeah. all these phallic weapons in the shed that he's placed out specifically for her like yeah um, weird I don't know Brett thoughts the, the, the symbolism yeah there's so yeah. much symbolism mm-hmm. I think it's very intentional and uh, and it very incisive of the movie to pick up on that and call it out too, which I'm sure other people had done prior to that. But I I don't think in, in a film, I don't think that had ever been called out to that degree, at least not to my knowledge, right. in disenfranched at gmail.com. If we've got it wrong, let us know. School us, please.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I I do want to say like one of my favorite, uh, it's hard to pick a favorite thing about Halloween. Something I enjoy (laughs) about Halloween um, is that often Laurie, is using weapons that are traditionally female, at least in current understandings, because she doesn't run around with, you know, huge phallic weapons. She picks up like a knitting needle, which in Mm -hmm. current culture is viewed as a very feminine thing to have. You know, she picks up a coat hanger, which is associated with clothing, which is associated with women. You know, she's using sharp weapons, but they're very female identified, which I think is really smart and is... uh, something that I love about Lori that she I don't know, she's she's always kind of in the early films, not later, but she maintains that kind of quote feminine innocence, you know, that they're going for. And I mm. just I think that's really fascinating that they don't give in to that let me pick up this phallus and charge at the killer with it. You know, I just I've always loved that aspect.
0: Do you think that's the Deborah Hill influence of it all? Or or do you think Carpenter's just that in touch with his feminine side?
1: I'm gonna go with Deborah Hill on that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the right call. <laughs> so what what have you what have you thought about the, the newer Halloween movies then?
1: Um I the only one I have not seen is Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. I've heard it's very good, but I've not seen it. Um I enjoyed the most recent Halloween. Um I, I'm i very excited for Halloween Kills um, but yeah I, I enjoyed the most recent one I, I really like what they did with Laurie and Laurie's PTSD and what I think is the logical uh, evolution of that character if you've been through everything that she's been through if you've had Michael Myers attack her as many times regardless of which continuity you ascribe to or accept even if you just look at one and two you know at this point in her life, she's going to have her safe rooms inside of her safe rooms inside of her safe room. She's going to have that level of preparation. And, you know, I know he's coming back. It's just a matter of time and I'm going to be ready for him. So I really like that they explored that. Um, Just speaking personally, I have PTSD and kind of think about the world in those terms. And I just like seeing it represented on film. So I like seeing
0: people who look at the world with that same lens, if that makes sense. No, totally. That's, and oh, I think, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a really good call. And I mean, honestly, that was the, the, I think that, and the fact that they didn't feel like they needed to rely on the sister angle, mm-hmm. uh, were my two, probably my two favorite things about the, the latest Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and I too am looking forward to Halloween kill. I actually watched in quarantine. I watched the entire Halloween franchise at Brett's insistence. Um, knowing there aren't any, really any failed franchise starters in that, in that lineup. So, um, yeah, yeah, most
2: of them are bad.
0: Yeah, uh, most of them are not good. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, you know, I that, I know Halloween is your favorite movie. Do we have a favorite slasher? Does everybody have a favorite? Um, mine is
1: probably, I mean, technically, I think it's a proto slasher, but mine is Black Christmas, the
0: original. Black Christmas, who apparently, from what I read on the IMDb trivia page, what look at that. It did have some bearing on this. Apparently Scott Wilson's character was supposed to be a grown-up Billy mm-hmm. from Black Christmas, even though they never say that in the movie. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how they work. But I Black Christmas is great. The remakes, no. But the original <laughs> is great. Mm-hmm. I watched I watched all of those uh back in December for the first time. So
1: nice.
0: Yeah. So I I actually really dug on um the original Black Christmas. The others, again, not as much, but Brett, I think we all know who your favorite slasher is.
2: Yeah, look, like when it comes to being a basic bitch, I am the epitome (laughs) of it. So, from pumpkin spice to autumn to fall, I love Michael Myers. All right, I don't care who knows it; (laughs) he's my favorite. Is just fine.
1: You can't go wrong with Halloween. I mean, it's
0: a masterpiece. it, it, (laughs) It is. It's a great film. It really is. It's. It's undeniable. It's probably. It's in my top five favorite Carpenter movies, but that's the thing about John Carpenter—he's made so many great movies that even his even for to say that Halloween is just in the top five is saying something. Exactly, that the man's canon. I mean, it runs the gamut. He's got some bad stuff in there too, but he's made some really incredible films. Mm-hmm. So, um, but for me, I, I again, I don't typically like. I, I love the Ghostface of it all, not because I think Ghostface is a particularly good slasher but because I like what he reveals about slashers. I like the idea that anyone could be ghost face. Um, uh, you know, when it gets into two and three and it starts like, Oh, well, we've got to tie this back into the, the, the Billy Loomis and Sydney's mom mythology of it all. I'm kind of like, we could, we could just say that he doesn't like Sydney. Um, but, but then to see how they explore that in, in scream four, which is it, it it doesn't beat out scream for me but it comes really really damn close it's so good like the way that they explore that and build on that
2: and subvert that in the fourth film i think is just incredible mm-hmm. so and you can't get much more wholesome than that like Ghostface could be anybody mm-hmm. it can be anyone
1: it's aspirational yeah.
2: right <laughs> the ghost face was inside of us all along right he was the friends was- we made along the exactly. way exactly <laughs>
0: Um, so Jessica, to, to kind of come back to something that you said earlier, uh, I think in your plot description, why do you why do you guys think? And I'll put put this to both of you. Why do you think that this film uses the term "survivor girl" instead of the more iconic and accepted "final girl," which had been coined in, according to my quick uh, Wikipedia search here in the uh, 1992 book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film by Carol J. Clover. Why go with a, a new term, uh, a new invented term, rather than relying on, say, uh, a stalwart accepted term? Um,
1: I think there are probably a few reasons. Number one, since uh, in this universe, you know, Michael, Freddie, Jason, are real people, um, perhaps those movies don't exist. So why would Carol J. Clover's book exist? So final girl wouldn't be a term known in this version of the world. If that makes sense. Also, I, I think they're trying to uh, put an emphasis on survival as something that you have to go through something to achieve instead Mm -hmm. of final, just like kind of the last person, like, no, she survived. She made it. She persevered. I think because they emphasize that, physical and psychological journey that the survivor girl goes through. They wanted to emphasize it more by talking about survival in general. So th- those are the two main things I think is going on.
0: I, I like that read. Brett, do you have a thought?
2: Uh, no, honestly, I, that's what I would say as well. I think that's absolutely the reason. I think in this universe, that's not something that's wildly known unless you're in that uh that circle. Yeah. In that line of work. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I and, and I, there is a part of me that finds it very charming that it is a line of work, and that he refers to survivor girl, survivor girl as an industry term, <laughs> whereas you hear that kind of language thrown around a lot on you know people who are in the movie. Oh, it's an industry term, you know, best boy. Yeah, uh, you know, it's an industry term for the guy who does blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that there is within every industry, there's this kind of internalized jargon that no one else knows. But once you're like so embedded in it, it just becomes your shorthand for everything. So, I like that. I think that is a really good read. Um, and and the emphasis on survival from again from the standpoint of of someone who doesn't really care for slasher movies that I I like that emphasis. In fact, I may start calling them survivor girls from here on out. So I love that. I don't know. I like that. Yeah, I like that. So I'm
2: gonna take this opportunity actually to plug a really good book that I read recently. It's called The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. Okay. Um, it is it is about a group of final girls who meet in a support group every week. And somebody has found out about them and is starting to hunt them all one by one. Oh, that does sound fascinating. It's, it's horror humor, too. It's like it's funny. Okay. It's, it's a very funny read as well.
1: Speaking of, I want to plug a book, too. <laughs> um, it's a book of poems about women in horror it's called i am not your final girl by claire c holland um it is amazing it is you know just poems devoted to women in horror movies it is so good um you know i know some people are like i don't read poetry no if you like horror you'll probably like this book so i am not
0: your final girl it's amazing that sounds both of those sound really good i i don't read a lot of horror books so i have nothing to plug here (laughs) Uh, i feel i feel very much in the wind
2: audiobooks brother that's how i do it
0: uh yeah it's true i know you do i i really should get into those as much as i listen to but then i my podcast backlog would get even bigger than it already is (laughs) and it's it's a whole thing um i I, my old position i used to have a job where i could listen to podcasts all day i i I i've i've got promoted to a new position that does not afford me that same luxury so my podcast backlog is ridiculous um, but you don't need to hear about that unless you really want to, in which case you should probably subscribe to our Patreon because um, I, I, that sounds like some a long tirade I would go on for our Patreon, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, such as it is. I am almost out of questions here. Um, let's talk about the legends. Let's talk about um, the Zelda Rubenstein, the Robert Englund, uh, the Scott Wilson of it all. First of all, Zelda Rubenstein's final performance. How does she do?
1: She's so good. Can I just say, I love a microfiche scene. And I was so happy, so happy to see a microfiche scene in this movie. (laughs) Oh, God, I love that. Um, She's so good. She's so funny, you know, with that amazing voice that she had, you know, delivering the legend of Leslie Vernon and then being very motherly or grandmotherly and reassuring like, oh, I'm sure that won't happen to you, honey, right before she dies. Just she's (laughs) incredible. But yeah, God, you know, five stars just for having
0: microfiche involved. That's my verdict. And honestly, I loved hearing Zelda Rubinstein say the word microfiche. <laughs> like that was a treat unto itself. Right. Macrofiche. And you're like, oh, say it again, Zelda. Say it again. <laughs> Macrofiche. Oh, Zelda. Thank you. You just like, wanted to say random words. Like. You, I, honestly, if, if I could, I would have an entire Zelda Rubinstein soundboard and I would just make her say all sorts of fun things. Yes. Um. Nothing, nothing untoward or un- inappropriate, but just you know, she she had an incredible voice, and it it's fun to hear certain people say certain words. I don't know, am I weird? Probably, but that sounds like a just a gas and a half to me.
2: No man, I get it. I do too. <laughs> I would love that.
0: <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I love Zelda Rubenstein. I actually saw the first Poltergeist for the first time. I think probably sometime last year. Um, in in quarantine, I watched. I did nothing but watch movies in quarantine. It was. Um, embarrassing. <laughs> um, I just watch movies almost
2: constantly. What was the total, Stephen? Do you remember? Uh, I can.
0: 600? I, it was it was uh, ridiculous. Hold on. Let me pull up my my letterbox list and I will tell you. Uh, but while I do that, I just I really enjoyed her in in that film and to be able to see her kind of play in, in a way kind of riff on her character from that film uh, I thought was a lot of fun. Um, and the way that she, you know, again, kind of like in the same way she would say, like, Caroline, you're going to die, girl, or whatever. It She's saying, you know, the same kind of thing, like, oh, honey, I think it's going to be all right. Don't you even worry about it? Like, just the way that she's able to, to, to and again, you're just like, oh, it's, well, it's Tangina. Tangina's back. Fantastic. Love this yeah forget the soundboard
2: man can we just get a soundboard (laughs) of you doing her voice like i'll take that instead
0: (laughs) oh brett you're gonna die girl
2: um yep please can we get that patreon bonus i was gonna say
0: maybe maybe let's make that like a patreon goal if if we get like (laughs) if we get 10 subscribers we can we can i'll do the the tangina um the the Tangina soundboard. I'm going on a Twitter um,
1: campaign as soon as we finish recording to get that to
0: happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, hang on, I am I'm still trying to find the list of movies I watched last year. It it's I have a letterbox list where I I spelled them all out, and I just have to find said list.
2: Nice
0: uh, movies I watched the 2020 edition. Uh, 513 films. Final. Oh, 10. that was a
2: hundred short. Look at that.
0: So, or no, you were a hundred long. I was a hundred short. Hey, (laughs) yo, there it is. Um, But no, that, I mean, so, yeah, I I watched a lot of movies, but one of the highlights was watching Toby Hooper's Poltergeist for the first time to kind of circle this back to where we were originally. um, Zelda Rubenstein, the great Zelda Rubenstein. Uh, I have now, like, I'm debating whether or not I should watch the rest because I hear the rest of them are not good. Um, But that first one is just an incredible piece of cinema. And I think she is for all the things that movie does really well. And it's a lot of things. I think she's easily my favorite part of that movie. Like she's so much, so, so big a part of why that movie works to the extent that it does.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. That was my first horror movie. I saw it when I was
1: maybe five. And I have been obsessed with her ever since. Like I, her voice and her just demeanor just kind of imprinted on me when I was so young, and so I'm always thrilled whenever she shows up. Jessica, you gonna die, girl?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I remember the Poltergeist movies scaring the literal crap out of me when I was a kid, and I think that's why I haven't gone back and watched them two especially. I have never seen two all the way through because mm. it terrified me as a kid. Like. The stuff they did with mirrors in the second Poltergeist, just I, I don't know if I ever, ever going to go back and watch it. I don't know if I want to. Or look in a mirror again. <laughs> or look in a mirror ever again. I'm not really sure I want to. So, I don't know if the movie itself is good or not. But I can tell you that it scared the living shit out of me. Okay. So, high praise. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. I mean, it, it's a horror movie. It did exactly what it was supposed to. There you
2: go. Yeah. And not a lot scares me anymore. So, there yeah. you go. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Robert Englund as Doc Hollerin, named, of course, after uh, Dick Holleran from The Shining and uh, basically doing his best Donald Pleasance impression in this movie as the Ahab, um, another industry term, which means the guy obsessed with the killer. Um, what, what did we think of Englund as a good guy?
1: I I love it. I I just love him in general. I like him playing against type. I like him being able to be him and not have the Mm Freddie makeup or some other, you know, just be himself. Um, He is so smart and so funny. He has such a great sense of humor. There's – he's very, you know – swashbuckling in this role. Like he, he almost has a, an invisible cape. You see him swishing around. Cause he's like swoops in to save the day. Come to me child. You know, he's just so, mm-hmm. you know, he's not over the top, but he's right there
2: and having so much fun with the role. So I, I love him in this. Yeah. He's not, he's not chewing the scenery. He's delicately dining. on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eating it with a fork and a knife, taking, you know, his pinky small in the bites
0: air. Mm-hmm. pinky in the air. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Being careful not to clink the silverware together. The <laughs> China, Uh, So the first thing that I ever saw Robert Englund in was it came out the same year as Nightmare on Elm Street uh, was the TV show V, which I got on. I got the movie and he's actually in the movie, the miniseries as well, which came out the year before. But I got the miniseries and the TV show on DVD, like from half price books for like 10 bucks. Um, And so I watched that and I thought, and I was like, Robert Englund's in this, who's Robert Englund? And I realized, oh, he's the, you know, lovable, innocent alien. Um, And it's just so, and then of course, last year, I also watched all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, because of course I did. (laughs) Um, And just to see him play kind of those two very different roles. And the idea that he pretty much always got kind of pigeonholed into that kind of role it's always a bummer when you see an actor who's really talented that everyone thinks can only do like the one thing we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about, I forget. Oh, uh, George Lazenby and the bonds, um, the, the, or Sean Connery specifically, the idea that an actor would leave a role because they don't want to get typecast. Um, but it's always kind of a bummer and to anyone's credit, he stuck with it. And I don't think anyone else could have played Freddie to the extent that he does, which is honestly the 2010 remake is evidence of that, if nothing else. But I like seeing him kind of put on the Donald Pleasance. And, and yeah, he is. He's heroic. He's fun. I think, ultimately, I don't think there's quite enough of him. But I think every time he is on screen, he is absolutely shining.
1: Agreed. I think he's underused just because I, you know, he knows who Leslie really is. He implies so much depth to his character and such a history. I do wish we had gotten a lot more of him. I'm with you on that.
0: Yeah, 100%. Absolutely agree. Um, and then we've got the legend Scott Wilson who uh known as the I think he's the killer and in, in the heat of the night I think that's right um but kind of playing um kind of a basically a grown-up version of that character and the the main the main slasher from black Christmas as well i I think his role is he's one of those who is doing, exactly the right thing he's in the movie the perfect amount like you get just enough of him he leaves you wanting more like you kind of want to know what the how the relationship between he and his he and jamie got started because it's heavily implied that she was his survivor girl and they ended up together weirdly i love that dichotomy i love that relationship and i love what he's doing in this movie
1: I agree. I th- th- He's so good just in general, but he's so good physically because at the, at the end of uh, one of their visits, um, as they're filming, he does this hilarious kind of grandfatherly like bye-bye. Like he has both his hands out <laughs> and he kind of clasps them. And it's so sweet and cute from this man who just talked about slaughtering dozens and dozens or possibly hundreds of people. And it's so funny. But yeah, he's just got such a presence and such a like there's a warmth to him but he's also quite scary when he wants to be and just you know he talking he just takes it so seriously like talking about how you know michael or mike and jay and fred really elevated the game and you know his yeah. respect for his industry and his calling you know um and when we first meet him he's been in that uh sensory deprivation take tank for three days just the level of um I like that they imply that he's still possibly killing people. Like he's not really retired Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise, why would he still be in such rigorous training? Um, Right. But yeah, I I do like that uh, they suggest that Jamie was his survivor girl and it kind of makes you reevaluate Taylor and Leslie and their relationship because there's so much, you know, tenderness and flirtation and like a, of this blossoming relationship i just yeah i I agree with you that he was used the perfect amount in the movie yeah
2: yeah and i and that might go on a tangent here but that also makes me wonder like if if killing people like this in this world is such just like a common thing, like it's just a line of work like are there actual serial killers in this universe or do if you're just if you're a serial killer you become a slasher like it's just i have questions (laughs) that that brought up some questions
0: Uh, that that actually is a very good question and one i would not even begin to figure out how to answer quite frankly
2: yeah i'm not sure there are answers in this movie it's just a question that i just thought of
0: well and again it's one of those things that i think a sequel probably would have fleshed out a lot more like it seems like while they were working on this movie they had the idea for the sequel and the um uh, David Stevie, uh, David J. Stevie said he or Steve or steve I'm not, honestly not sure how to pronounce it, probably Steve, um, had already started writing the script. And then by the time they had started shopping it around, it was kind of already obsolete. Uh, I think their initial concept was to have Taylor as the host of a To Catch a Predator style show uh, in which she would basically lure teenagers into a house to entice a, a slasher in and then she would come out chris hansen style and interview them and then he would try to leave and get ca- and get captured by the cops which is perfect and That's then so good right
1: yes.
0: <laughs> right but then by the time they kind of get to the point where they start shopping it around to catch a predator is no longer really that relevant anymore um so it kind of falls out of fashion so the next script that they write, and again, this is all from a, uh, I think an article on Bloody Disgusting, if I'm not mistaken. I will I will link it in the show notes so you guys can read it because it's actually really fascinating. The next script they write is called Before the Mask, colon, The Return of Leslie Vernon. Um, and it functions, they go the Scream 3 route with it. Um, they're interviewing, there's another documentary crew and they're interviewing... Uh, basically, everyone who survived the first movie, Leslie and Taylor and Doug, they're interviewing all those people ahead of the Leslie Vernon movie that's being made about the exploits or the basically the first film, the killings in the first film. And then people start mysteriously dying on set. So someone has someone from the studio kind of comes in to figure out what's going on, why why this thing is getting shut down. And then eventually he and Taylor... And Doug and um, eventually Leslie kind of all join forces because Leslie swears up and down it's not him. But the killer is wearing his old garb and is dressed as his, you know, in his slasher persona. So it's up to them to figure out who the real killer is. And they don't give away the ending, uh, I guess, because it's in hopes that one day they'll actually get to make this thing. This thing came out in March. So I don't know if it's actually going to happen, if it's not going to happen. If it is, if it does happen, we'll cover it uh, on this podcast. And Jessica will have to have you back if that does happen. Part of me wants it to happen. Part of me is like, I kind of like this thing just as it is. Like, this is kind of a perfect object all on its own.
2: Yeah, I I agree. Um, But I mean, still, I love this movie so much. I want to see more, you know? Sure. (laughs) I want to see where it goes after this. I want, you know, maybe an explanation about like, if that's the way they go... Uh, so then the credit scene at the end of the first one, is that, did that not happen or did it happen? How do you explain that? I mean, I I would assume it did happen. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm assuming there would
0: be some kind of in, in world explanation. Um, according to the article, there's a scene where Leslie gets very uncomfortable talking about, uh, marijuana use and homosexuality in relation to slashers, which sounds really fun to watch (laughs) to me, kind of trying to watch him cope with you know the idea of this hyper masculine slasher thing in conjunction with particularly homosexuality would i think would be really fascinating and really interesting
1: yeah and you know just the idea of a sequel in general is such a you know a slasher thing the idea of people returning they talk about how amazing it is that oh these guys started returning they changed the game you know i i would love to see a sequel to this, you know, I, you talked about how uh, all the Halloween sequels are awful. I, I really like Halloween four and five. I I'm obsessed with three, but I like four and five. I like revisiting them, even if they're not nearly as good as the original. So even if a sequel to this came out that couldn't quite match the original, I would still, you know, be there on opening night and be thrilled to see it. Cause I love this world. I, I have confidence in the creators and the cast that they would come up with something s- clever and smart. And there's always something new to say about slashers like you know i think some people say oh the slasher subgenre is dead you know nobody will come up with anything fresh or interesting and then a bunch of films come out that have something fresh and interesting to say and a new take on it so i think there's always something there with the right creators and i i have a lot of confidence in the people who made this one to make a worthy sequel
0: i mean yeah they clearly love the genre they clearly love the um I mean, every aspect of it to put so much attention to detail in this movie, Mm -hmm. which is another reason I kind of want to watch it again, because it feels like something like you could get something new out of it on every subsequent rewatch, really.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like even the way he moves, you know, he obviously does the Nick Castle sit up where he just he doesn't even it's just like he goes from horizontal to vertical immediately in the background, kind of Mm -hmm. out of focus and all these little, you know, And just the way he looks at Taylor, watching it when you know what's happening, you appreciate his performance a little more. I think just the way he appreciates when she catches on to things and is learning and growing, and he is kind of approving in that creepy way that's also a little heartwarming. I just, I like picking up on those things, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, and that's a big part of why I want to rewatch it is so I can pay a special close attention to their dynamic and how it, changes and evolves throughout the course of the film mm-hmm. i think that that that's again i think why why i want to sit down with this one sooner than later hopefully i don't wait too long to actually sit down with this one again
1: yeah don't wait 15 years like i did
0: <laughs> yeah no i don't i don't know that i will I'll, I'll try to this it's currently streaming on hoopla so which i have access to through my public library so if that's not a testament to libraries i don't know what is exactly uh support your local libraries kids because uh yeah that's the best and the microfiche don't and the, the yes microfiche. You mean the macro fish? <laughs> I just wanted to make you say it again. That's all. Macro fish. You're going to die, girl. <laughs> oh, great. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so what what, el- what else do we have to say about uh, Behind the Mask of the Rise of Leslie Vernon that has not already been said?
1: I would like to give props to how intelligently you- they use the... Uh, camera styles they go in between Mm. the kind of mockumentary not found footage but the grainy handheld video camera and then they move to the slasher shot where they do a lot of overhead shots and move around and these close-ups they we start out with the slasher shot then we're we have the documentary and then when we're seeing things from leslie's perspective as he's narrating what's going to happen what he's going to do it goes into the slasher you know typical feature film slasher style and then we go back to the documentary and when our documentary crew becomes a part of Leslie's story when they enter the house at the end we switch back to that slasher style and it's it's subtle and smart and it you know you notice it but it's just such a smart way to key you into okay this is what's happening now I think it's really clever it's really smart and they obviously know the genre cause they know this, you know, the stereotypical camera angles and camera movements and when they're going to be close ups and when they're going to be not one, but two gratuitous upskirt shots in the barn, you know, like they just, the camera work is really smart in this. And I think, um, I would be remiss if I didn't call attention to it.
0: No, I absolutely agree. And I think the ones that I noticed, um, and maybe, maybe it's the showy camera work, but I think it's also really effective. Um, are the ones that start with the overhead shot. And then it's a fluid motion back Mm -hmm. down to eye level Mm -hmm. um, all in one shot, all done in camera, all one shot. So where you're like, you're like, okay, now we're back in the actual movie part of this and we're, we're locked in. Like, this is what this movie is now. And in that final shot, I think in particular, it's the most effective because she's just shut everything down is packing it all up. And then you get like that overhead shot, of her over the like over the van of her shoving stuff in the back and closing the door and that camera swivels down and then at that point you know you're locked in this is this is now officially a slasher movie this is no longer the mockumentary slash pseudo found footage thing that it was before mm-hmm. this is now the thing that it unabashedly is yes. and you get to really kind of embrace that and run with that and it's kind of fun I agree
2: mm-hmm. exactly yeah it's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie is that transition at the end mm-hmm. it's great.
0: Mm. yeah i i love it i think it's great brett any final thoughts
2: uh no man i mean uh, this movie's great it is What more is there to say it's a good movie (laughs) i enjoyed it uh brett didn't
0: think i would and i did so this movie opens on march 16th 2007 brett this is a weekend that we have covered before the first time this has ever happened for us Uh, We covered this week. This movie opens, first of all, it should be noted. It's an independent film, so this is completely understandable. It opens in 52nd place in its opening weekend. It makes a grand total of $38,500 in its opening weekend. The movie that we had covered before in this weekend opened at number four. It is another horror movie uh, by a prolific horror director who made an incredibly divisive but i think pretty good film earlier this year Hmm. also a franchise that he worked with also had a movie uh release in its uh maybe the eighth or ninth movie in the franchise that came out uh, earlier this year as well which is when we did this movie we had a guest on this episode who loved this movie it is the do you know
2: uh it's man I'm blanking on it and I should not be.
0: You shouldn't be. It's the James Wan film Dead Silence.
2: Oh. Oh. Right. Ah oh, cat's going to hate me.
0: Yeah, cat's going to hate you. <laughs> uh I won't tell her if you won't. I hate myself. Um, I should have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> I I gave you all the clues. Right. <laughs> Draw a little snowman at the bottom of the page. I gave you all the clues. In in number 1 this week was 300 um in in number 2 Wild Hogs Um, wild hogs can't be broken did i make that joke on the dead silence episode pretty sure you did i probably did wild hogs can't be broken though it's a good joke (laughs) it is is. i think it's i think it's a really funny joke and if you disagree you're terrible (laughs) in third place uh (laughs) that's right brett i said it yeah in third place (laughs) premonition uh the aforementioned dead silence go listen to that dead silence episode by the way that was a good episode uh cat was an incredible guest we will have to have her on soon brett what do you think
2: I mean it seems like good a good time as any if we're, you know. I
0: mean, yeah, we I should I should see if she's available. That's a good idea. You should. Um I sh- I should reach out to her after we're done recording. Um wink. And-
2: <laughs> Heavy wink.
0: <laughs> <Shh>. We're telling <laughs> Jessica off camera. We're off mic. <laughs>
2: right, right, of course. <laughs>
0: um and then in fifth place, I think I love my wife. Uh that's a Tyler Perry joint if I'm not mistaken. Uh 6 through 10 is Bridge to Terabithia, Ghost Rider, Zodiac. I mean, very in the news movie right now mm-hmm. jessica didn't you say on twitter you took a nap and then they figured when you woke yes. up they knew who zodiac was i was only asleep <laughs> for like an hour and i woke up and oh we found out who zodiac was I, and just such an anticlimactic story too
1: yeah just like oh it was this guy named gary now go back to talking about ted lasso like <laughs> yeah he's
0: been, yeah. This guy named gary he's been dead for three years i don't know yeah. what do you want though i love everybody the idea made that, memes
1: about it and- yeah We are done. I like the idea of Gary going to go see Zodiac, though.
0: I do, too. I kept waiting for like a legitimate news source to pick it up. I'm like, okay, we got TMZ and then Fox News ran with it. And I'm like, okay, AP, CNN, BBC, literally anybody else.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Can we run with this? New York (laughs) Post? Oh, no. Um, And in ninth place, maybe the movie of 2006, uh, it's Norbit or 2007. It's Norbit. Um, what a, what a trash fire that movie is. Uh, and then in 10th place, music and lyrics, uh, right. Cause you can't have one without the other. Um, this movie actually only grossed, uh, $69,000 domestic. So, um, good enough for a, for an indie film, not what you would call, uh, the breakout success that they were, I'm sure hoping for in order to keep making, uh, these movies. The Tomatometer score, I do have to say, 76% certified fresh, which I agree. Uh, The Critics Consensus, a smart mockumentary that presents a gory, funny, and obviously affectionate skewering of the slasher genre. Uh, The Metascore is 66, based on generally favorable reviews from 14 critics. And the letterboxed score on this one is 3.5. So, Jessica, if you were... Forced to rate this movie out of five stars, uh, how many stars would you give it?
1: Oh, okay. My completely unscientific rating, I will give it four stars.
0: Okay.
2: Four stars. Brett, what about you? I would give it four and a half.
0: Four and a half? I landed on four as well. So, um, mainly, uh, I was honestly, I, as I was watching it, I'm like, this has got to be like a three. I mean, it's, it's pretty good, but I'm like, I'm not sold. And that twist hit. And and it, again, recontextualized everything. I might reevaluate that upon rewatch, but I, like I said, I had, I had fun with it in retrospect, like looking back on it. I, I enjoyed it. So it is one that I will, um, come back to. And again, maybe that, maybe that ranking will change, but for right now, I got to stick with four
1: yeah i i'm tempted to say four and a half because i love this movie but i have a tendency to say i liked that movie five stars so i'm trying to get away from that <laughs> and be a I little mean, hey, more judicious embrace embrace who you are that's fine <laughs> I, i'm you know, i'm if, amending it right now four and a half
0: <laughs> okay there you go all right there it is well two, two four and a halves and a four i hey we'll take it and i'm sure leslie would be happy with
2: that ranking as well so um, on the on the other hand though as I was reading over the Wikipedia page, um, would y'all love to hear a really scathing review that'll probably make you mad? Uh, it, I don't know that it would make me mad, but it might give me a chuckle, which I'm all for. Uh, it might, actually. Um, so uh, this was from The Village Voice after it came out. Uh, Desperately overcompensating for the fact that most horror films are already parodies of themselves, <laughs> Behind the Mask takes quite a bite out of the dumb Scream franchise before devouring its own tail, proving that you are what you eat. Who wrote that? Uh, it was from the Village Voice, no author credited. Okay.
1: I wouldn't put my I mean, name on that either.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the uh, You know, I'm not going to lie. The um, Village Voice is all you needed to say, because this is not the kind of movie that gets a, a good write-up, a good notice in the Village Voice. So,
2: Well, most horror movies aren't reviewed favorably anyway, as we have previously discussed. We
0: have discussed that ad nauseum on this podcast. See literally any horror movie we've covered, about, or any episode we've covered about a horror movie on words are hard guys um <laughs> uh we do have before we uh move on to sign offs we do have a letter from our good friend tucker i'm reading it through here he says i'd like to let you know that i have been a frighteners fan since day since the day i first saw the trailer i saw it in theaters and bought the vhs with the holographic cover the day it dropped the uh, this film introduced me to the best actor of all time jeffrey combs who is literally the nicest and most accommodating person i've ever met thanks for doing this episode tucker Thank you for listening, as you always do. Thank you for being our friend and our fan. We appreciate you. And we appreciate your love of the Frighteners, because that's another movie that we both really enjoyed. I saw, that. I saw that for the first time over quarantine and just absolutely loved it. Same. That was one of those. I saw it and I was like, oh, this is this is one that we're going to cover on the podcast one day. I just I knew it. And when Enola picked it for her episode, I was like, OK,
2: mm-hmm.
0: we're, we're good. It's good.
2: We're on. We got it.
0: Yeah. So, um, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. We are, uh, that's it. That's our episode. Jessica, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We loved having you. Oh, thank you so much. I had so much fun. I was so excited to come on. Come back again. Seriously, I anytime, to. anytime you can think of a failed franchise starter you want to cover. Uh, if it hasn't been claimed already, we you get first dibs on it. So <laughs>
1: thank you so much. I'm going to be taking you up on that. So <laughs> <laughs> get ready. It
2: awesome. Doesn't have, doesn't have to be horror. Here. Just whatever you want to do.
1: Awesome.
0: Literally, I can I can send you the full list if you want. Like I I sent you the horror list. I can send you the full list if you want. So I would love that. Brace yourself. Um, It's coming. Um, Jessica, we we mentioned a couple of your uh, superlatives at the beginning, but uh, I'm just going to basically give this episode to you now and let you talk about yourself for as long as you want. So go off, girl. Tell us everything that you've got uh, in the pipeline, everything that you've done, everything that you're doing, everything that you're working on, where we can find you on social media. By the way, you are an incredible Twitter follow, by the way. I oh. I, I will say that on the record. Absolutely, <laughs> fantastic Twitter follow. And Thank confirmed. you so
1: much. <laughs> Thank you both. Uh, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter at we who walk here. Um, like you said, I'm a content editor at Film Cred. I also write there. Um, I write for Daily Grindhouse, Schools Magazine, uh, Nightmarish Conjurings. I'm forgetting a lot of things because I'm on the spot. Um, I'm going to start. I have a piece coming out at Manor Vellum, my first piece over there that I'm excited about. I love Manor Vellum. I do, too. I'm very excited. Um, I am pulling up my Twitter account because I always keep my uh, credits on my Twitter profile, and I've completely drawn yeah, a blank. You I don't remember my middle name right now because I am <laughs> just <laughs> completely flustered. But yeah, um, yeah, Daily Grindhouse, Nightmarish Conjuring's. Um, I've written for Certified Forgotten. I love those guys. Um, we are a Horror Zine, uh, Grim Magazine, which I absolutely love. Grim. I am a contributor to Hear Us Scream, which is a book collecting uh, female and non-binary voices in horror that's going to be coming out hopefully at the end of October. Um, And a lot of other exciting things coming out, including a podcast that I'm working on myself with um, a good friend of mine. And yeah, anything else? Is it the
0: Rugrats podcast?
1: No, but if y'all want to do it with me, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many things I want to do. I would love to do a Rugrats podcast. Um, but yeah, I I always share my writing and, you know, things I'm working on and my, you know, silly cosplay photos and everything on Twitter. So cosplay
0: photos are great.
1: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so come follow me, say hi at we who walk here on Twitter. I'm always sharing stuff. So yeah, come check it out.
0: Awesome. And yeah, again, just to reiterate, fantastic Twitter follow, um, just, just a blast and a. I, it's, it's such a delight to engage with you on Twitter. It's a delight to engage with you here. Um, thank you. so thank you again for coming on again. Anytime you want to come back, you just let me know, uh, or Brett. Now we're both on Twitter. You could let either of us know, and we'd, we'd love to have you back. So oh, thank you. So absolutely. Much. Open door. Anytime. Um, this has been the disenfranchised podcast with our very special guest, Jessica Scott. Um, you can find us on all the social medias, Twitter, Letterboxd, Facebook, and Instagram at disenfranch pod. Uh, if you would be so very kind, slide on over to Apple podcast, give us a nice juicy five star rating and review. Uh, we would love to hear it, love to see it, love to read it. Uh, and it helps us find a lot more listeners like yourselves. Uh, additionally, we just started Brett. Did you know about this? We just started a Patreon this month. We did. Yeah. That's a thing that we did. Uh, and we've got, sure? I, and people actually are following it. That's incredible. What the hell? I know. Um, it's it's a good time to be us. No, we actually uh, have got, actually dropping tomorrow as of the release date of this episode, uh, we have got a new uh, episode of our Patreon-only show, Diss Five Chized, where Brett and I run through top five lists. Uh, it is our Spookython tie-in episode, so we will be running down our top five favorite horror movies, uh, a list I have never made and have just started making and am finding it very nerve-wracking. Uh, and uh, also our top five movie monsters. So it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good, li- a couple of good lists on that one. So you'll want to make sure, again, that's for the $5 level. And you can also listen to our Bond Stravaganza. Listen to us run through our top five favorite uh, Bond themes, our top five favorite Bond movies, and our Bond power ranking of all the actors who have ever played James Bond in canonical James Bond films. Uh, it's an absolute blast. Plus, you get to hear maybe... Our good friend Tucker's Magnum Opus, um, which is the theme song for Dyson Five Chives, which is maybe my favorite thing that anyone has ever written. This is the first time I've gotten to talk about it because we recorded that episode literally before he recorded that song. And uh now that I've heard it, it's the only thing I can think about. And it's wonderful and I love it. And I'm not gonna say any more about it. If you want to hear it, you you gotta you gotta be a patron. So slide on over there, patreon.com slash pod. Uh-huh. Way to tease him. Way to tease him, buddy. <laughs> hey, job. man. I, Lord I, man. I, and speaking of Tucker, we do want to thank him for doing the music for uh, this episode as well. He wrote the very special Halloween theme that you see that you are hearing at the front of this episode. And of course, our, our standard theme song that we you hear every other day of the month or any other month. Uh, you hear it the rest of the time when it's not um, Halloween time. Words, you got it, buddy. Worth the hard. hard. <laughs> um, home stretch. Words are home hard. stretch. Keep it together, Stephen. Almost there. <laughs> I am. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxed at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you on social media?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxed at sus s u s underscore warlock. All right, and that is our
0: show uh, I think I should also probably mention that you can send us emails at disinfranchipot at gmail.com like our friend Tucker always does um so yeah until next time I am your host Stephen Foxworthy for my co-host Brett Wright and our very special guest Jessica Scott Jessica you gonna die girl macro fish <laughs>